Aloha and welcome to Our Undoing Radio. I am your host, Jeremy Vaney, and I am excited because we are finally moving, uh, moving into some episodes that are inspired by the Living Mystery Symposium, the theme of diversity and consciousness, all of the great speakers and presentations. I, I can't wait. But first, I got to share with you something. Uh, I don't often do a dream from last night. It's not a vision. It's not something, some communique from on high. It's just a regular old dream, sort of, except that I think it applies to a lot of people out there, not just me. And, um, so I want to share it with you. Um, although it's a dream from my own noggin. So some of the themes are, are, uh, like recurring things such as uh, tsunamis. That seems to be a recurring thing, getting bowled over by a tsunami. Um, but I guess you don't need to know that <laughs> because it's not your dream. But the moral to the story, well, that's all of ours. So in this dream, if you will indulge me a moment, um, in this dream, uh, I'm in my house, although it's not really exactly the house. You know, in dreams, things are a little screwy. Um, I'm in a kitchen with my wife and one of my, uh, former roommates from my apartment prior to getting married, Lisa Marie, my wife, Carol, um, they are both baking something. I don't know what they're baking, but they're baking something in the oven. And, um, Carol is an excellent cook and baker and Lisa Marie, I believe she was a professional baker. So, they're doing their thing and they seem happy about it. And I'm uh, going to host a Kundalini workshop, whatever that is, you know, in the dream, it's not really fleshed out, but I'm doing some sort of public workshop on Kundalini and my mom wants to come <laughs> and I really don't want her to come. Um, and I don't know how to tell her uh, because I, I, it's like, you know, I don't want my mommy there emasculating me and taking away my sense of authority with her questions, being the only one to ask questions. This is in the dream. This is what I'm picturing. Um, so I'm calling her on a cell phone. I go into another room. Uh, not really the layout of our real house. Like I said, um, except in theory, in theory, we're on, uh, the house is on post and pier, which means, uh, not a concrete foundation, but it's raised up, which makes it good against earthquakes and, uh, good against flooding. And, um, in the dream, it appears that we are sort of living on the beach, but my sensibility about where we're living is that we should be protected. We're far enough away from the ocean and we're post and pier. So all of that is the background. Um, and I call my mom, and I can't remember what we're talking about at first, but we get disconnected, and um, I don't get to say what I want to say to her. I feel really bad saying it, but I need to say it to her. Um, so she calls back, and um, I'm talking to her, and I tell her, I'm like, listen, I don't want you, I don't know how to tell you this without it hurting your feelings, but that's just the way it's going to have to be. I don't you know, I don't really want you, um, coming to this thing and this workshop of mine and being the only one asking questions and, 
you know, as I know you'll do, you'll you'll be the first to raise your hand. And I don't know if this is true in real life, but in the dream, this is true. And I can't have that. It's like time for me to branch out on my own, ma. Um, and as I'm having this talk with her, I, I look out the window and it's super windy out. And I see uh, a picnic table blow by and there's like a pier out there in the ocean and the pier flips around. It does like a 360 in place. And I'm like, wow, this is insane. And I sort of stop the conversation with my mom to see this. And I go to get Carol and Lisa Marie. And I'm like, whoa, you guys got to see this. And they come into the room. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a, uh, a tidal wave or a tsunami just poof pops up out of the ocean. And it is imminently going to crash into us. And we're all screaming for our lives. And in the screaming, in a flash, I'm thinking, um, we're going to die. There's no way out because we're in enclosed space. There's no door that we could open fast enough to run outside. We just run into another room. So we, it's not like, you know, the tsunami could crash down and we swim away or something. We're going to die in this room. This thing's going to crash in here and kill us. That's it. It's happening right now. So I thought all of that in a split second. And then I also thought, um, I can't have my mom hearing me scream, not knowing what's going on. And that's the last sound she ever hears from her son. And I certainly don't want this to be the last conversation we ever have. So I try to tell her that there's a tsunami and that I love her. And before I can even get the words out, cause I'm just screaming like, ah, like in- incoherently. Uh, sure enough, the wave crashes in through the window and, uh, you know, smashes us against the ceiling and, and we're going to die and that's it. Dream over. And then, uh, I have a bunch of other dreams that are not related in any way. (laughs) Like one of them is like Shaquille O'Neal, uh, like at a dentist and his tongue is connected to the roof of his mouth, and he's making all these weird faces. Uh, he's got this outlandish mouth with these outlandish large teeth and this misplaced tongue, and he's making all these stupid faces. Like, stuff like that. And through all of these dreams, uh, all I'm thinking about is this dream, and I'm trying to remember, I'm remembering it, and I'm, and I'm just uh, playing it over and thinking, like, oh, i got to tell Carol this when I wake up. Like, through all these subsequent dreams, this is what I'm doing. I'm like, i got to remember to tell. I don't know why I've got to remember to tell Carol this. Although it felt important. And so through these dreams, I rehearsed it. And it's interesting because, you know, you've heard of, uh, maybe you've heard of dream rehearsals in terms of, like, fighting off a bear. I mean, that was my big one when I was a a teeny child, was uh, a big nightmare was being chased through the woods by a bear and supposedly, you know, the psychological answer to why kids have dreams like that, because I think that's a common one is that there were instinct rehearsal for how you, you know, back when we lived in the wild, how you, how one would behave when, when coming upon a bear. So this is almost like reverse instinct rehearsal or something where I'm rehearsing through these dreams, how to wake up and share this uh, nightmare. So I wake up in the morning and indeed I share with Carol the dream and I share it 
in the way that I've rehearsed it over and over again. And in fact, I said to her, I'm like, I can't believe I'm even going to tell you this dream because I feel like I've said it a thousand times already. Uh, like everything I'm about to tell you, I've already, I've already said, and it just feels dull. Um, I'm not a guy who likes to read scripts, you know, like, uh, and I'm not someone who likes to retell stories from high school or college or their youth, even though that's exactly what I'm doing. Right. Like that's kind of partly what this show is and like everything I've done with podcasting, but, uh, there's something different about doing it in, in this format than talking to people like the psychological difference. Uh, I don't feel a need to do it for my own benefit to like bask in the glory of nostalgia or relive old, you know, reopen old wounds or, or whatever f- to feel something, uh, to avoid the present moment, which is, uh, t- what we tend to do when we're doing that. But if there's a lesson like this one, oh, sure. And so the lesson seemed obvious to me. Um, the, the theme of the dream, I'm not exactly certain, uh, why two cooks are in the kitchen baking something together and, and happy while I'm doing my thing and, and sort of fretting over it and being miserable. I'm certain that if I sit here and think about it for about 10 seconds, I'll figure it out. But um, I want to get this part out instead. And actually, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Now that <laughs> 10 seconds later, was it even 10 seconds? It's like, yeah, it, it is all in the, the theme of this. And the theme of this is that this is just what came to me immediately. In life, people die and it's unpredictable. It's um, it's an unknown moment when you're going to die. Um even if someone pulled the plug on you and you were in a coma or something like that, you still aren't quite sure the exact moment you're going to die. That's always a mystery. And people die horribly. People die in tsunamis. This happens. Maybe it'll happen to me someday. Who knows? But this is what happens. And we look at that and we tend to think, like, because that happens, what is the meaning of life? Like, if life is over... um. And this is what I've been feeling lately is just like, it's over. The game is over. (laughs) We've screwed it up. We're not going to rebound. Earth is flicking us off. So what is the point? What is the point of our undoing? What is the point of rehashing Paratopia? What is the point of doing anything except just sort of like living? Why am I reaching out in a public way? What do I care if no one else cares? Um, or if not enough people care, or if they're not going to care in time because time's a wasting, uh, what is the point? Right. But the fact is people die every day and it's sudden and people die every day. And it's in a tragic circumstance where the last thing someone's going to remember about them is an awful thing. In fact, if you go to ID a body, that's an awful thing. Who wants to remember their child or even their pet, as I've had to do? Dead. Who wants to Who wants to re- have that be the last image in their head? Um, so it's never, I guess the, the moral of the story is it's never about the ending. It's not about the ending that's happening right now in life. Um, it's not about looking at that ending and how tragic or okay it is like do we pass away in our sleep or do we get murdered it's not about looking at that ending and judging the worth of the life 
based on that ending. It's about living. Pure and simple. Um, It's about what you're doing as you're doing it. Does it have meaning? And the way that you judge that, the way you judge whether what you're doing is uh, worth doing isn't by just throwing up your hands and going, well, it's over, so why did I even bother? It's to say, what was the connection that I really made? Like, like in the dream, I um, am more concerned with my, my mommy issues and my ego um, than saying I love you and living in that with my mom, right? And, of course, there's Carol and Lisa Marie, and, and they're happy and contented in their lives, right? Like, their quote-unquote little lives of just baking and being happy. And here I am with my highfalutin plans to do a workshop on something mysterious and quote-unquote important like kundalini. And who's happy? They're happy. I'm miserable. But we all die screaming in the end because a tsunami's coming. Um, so why would I want to waste my time in my own head with, you know, being an egomaniac or in my own head, worrying about old psychological issues, letting them dictate me, dictate my life, dictate how I treat other people and uh, worry about how I am seen by an audience. You know, worry about my sense of authority, which is nonsense. There is no sense of authority. These are all made up things. The thing that's not made up, and this sounds trite, maybe, but is love. The I love you thing is the not made up thing. That's the thing that we cover over with all these problems. So I don't know who else needs to hear this, but I know it ain't just me. And um, although it is just a dream in my head, it, it's, a, it's a good, good takeaway. It's, I think it's a good lesson to learn. And I hadn't really thought about it that way, you know? I mean, I've always talked about, like, the journey is the thing or the journey isn't the thing. You know, that kind of, you know, all that sort of stuff. But this is different. This is really looking at what the ending is, as I think a lot of us are doing. I was going to say we're all doing, but I think some people are still in denial. But I think most of us are looking around and going, "Mm, this is over, right? Like, society is collapsing. The political system is collapsing. It isn't just America. It's uh, systems all over the world. And it's not just these political systems. I think they're symptomatic of, um, or maybe part and parcel with, uh, the uh, so-called climate crisis. It's not a crisis for Earth necessarily, but for us. And, um, And there's no way out. So what do you do? What do you do in that moment of powerlessness? Uh, do you just get depressed? Do you throw your hands up and go, what was this all about? But I think if you keep in mind that many brilliant lives are ended, they're cut short by tragedy, and that doesn't make, make their lives any less meaningful. Uh, that doesn't mean you know what they brought to the world wasn't worth bringing into the world. And of course, from the non-dual perspective, all this is always just happening anyway. So (laughs) even the sense of bringing in and out of the world is a farce to some degree or a play. Uh, It's what we do. It's the action, but the action is always already happening from a certain perspective. And so it just is what is. 
Um, but from either perspective, even though in time through our actions, we try to be autonomous beings, we try to be individuals uh, through our separate self sense as a substitute for the oneness that we actually are. You know, like I personally want to be that oneness. I want to be, but, you know, we want to drag the big stuff down into the little, but we can't do that. The little dies, dissolves through understanding, and they're the big B. Buzzing around. Wait, no, not that B. Uh, I digress. <laughs> From either perspective, the timeless or within time, the perpetual nowness or the sensation of going through the ordeal of life, conscious or unconscious, whether you know it or not, all is love. I hate saying that out loud, but there it is. Uh, all is love. That doesn't mean that you live it. That doesn't mean that that ending isn't painful and tragic and scary beyond all belief. If you still fear, fear annihilation, if you still have that fear of, you know, death, you can block out what you are. That's what we do, right? This is all we've ever talked about here is you're blocking out your wholeness. And in that wholeness is love and you can block out love. This is what we do. We compartmentalize and we put it into other aspects of ourselves. Um, if we're narcissists, we put it right into the mirror. We put it right into our insecurities. We warp it. We make it not love. We wear the corpse around like a serial killer in a human shawl made of skin. <laughs> I stole that image from uh, somebody I used to do improv with back in New York. Um, it's one of the funnier moments I had on stage. There's me waxing nostalgic, huh? <laughs> hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is born in love. Wait, no. <laughs> Scratch that. Scratch that from the record. So do we have to wait for the big tsunami, metaphorical or otherwise, to arrive on our shores before we figure this out? Do we have to wait for that scary, frightening, terrifying, awful regrettable moment of death or can we understand ourselves so deeply that we don't have those regrets and we don't have those fears. And in fact, we don't have those insecurities blocking out love that we are that. And then the tsunami is just a tsunami. It's just an inevitable natural occurrence. And that it too has meaning, not just the meaning of crap, my life is over, right? Selfish to the end. <laughs> all the regrets, all the things I wish I'd done. It's like, really? <laughs> Even in death, that's what you think this is about. <laughs> but this is what we do, right? This is how we think of things. And the weird thing about that, about uh, purely seeing the meaning of your life or not, um, if it meant something to you is that actually meaning doesn't really exist except between two or more people. I mean, you can be wholeness and radiate love into the world and maybe nobody picks that up, right? Like 
it's possible. Maybe you go live in a cave somewhere and you do it. No one picks that up. But you will always have meaning because meaning uh, takes place amongst people. Meaning isn't a solitary quality the way we might want it to be. We like we want things to mean something to us, but meaning transcends self. Meaning transcends and includes self, but meaning isn't something selfish. And you know this to be true when you think about, oh, I don't know. Hey, remember crack babies? Oh, yeah. We're bringing it somewhere weird. <laughs> Weirder. Uh, in the in the 80s, or I guess it's late 80s, early 90s, somewhere in there, uh, there was a big phenomenon called crack babies. Crack was the drug of choice, let's say, in the hood, and therefore crack babies, babies born to crack-addicted moms, uh, became the right-wing symbol for why we shouldn't give welfare or any social programs to, uh, quote-unquote, less fortunate, a.k.a. black people because they're just producing crack babies, right? Like, it's not that crack babies didn't exist. It's not that this wasn't a horrible, tragic thing, especially for crack babies. But it was one of those things that was um, overblown into a mythology for political purposes of uh, racism affecting the wallet. I mean, that's basically it. But now um, white people are hooked on meth and... uh, and prescription drugs and, and other things, but those are the big ones. Um, and so now white people don't have a poor black drug addicted boogeyman or woman to uh, point the finger at and go, see, this is why we should hoard our wealth and um, not like those people. Because uh, now we're those people. <laughs> so everyone's those people. Everyone's those people in the end. Um, why am I bringing this up (laughs) just because I'm a jerk and I want to upset people? Yes, that and, uh, to be born and just die to be a crack baby, to be born and die without knowing that you were alive, but for the amount of time it takes to cry, um, what's the meaning of that life? That life presumably has no real meaning to that baby. That baby doesn't know what life is. The baby doesn't know the miracle of life, except that it was just born. And frankly, it's bawling its eyes out. So it probably isn't thrilled to be here at that moment. It takes a while to warm up to life. Right? So when you die as a baby, (laughs) where's the meaning? The meaning is as a statistic. And that sounds cold, but I'll explain it in a second. Uh, I mean, essentially, if you're born into the world, even if you're born to parents who have abandoned you, parents who have even filled you with drugs uh, through their own addictions, into a hospital, into a system that doesn't know what to do with you, and it doesn't matter anyway because you're just going to die in a few weeks or a few days or right now, um, you have meaning as a statistic. That statistic tells us That there's a problem in the culture that creates such parents, that creates such a system, that doesn't really care about the baby. The baby has meaning to the society. The baby's health tells the society how healthy it is. The baby has meaning and purpose in life, even though the baby doesn't know it. And it's a tragic one, 
right? I mean, in terms of longevity and fulfilling potential and all of that. But it's there. Nevertheless, it exists. Now, of course, there are personal meanings in life, which this baby, again, will not ever get to understand. But uh, you and I understand that there are personal meanings in life. But that doesn't mean that all meaning is personal. That doesn't mean that we get to look at the fact that we end someday. Or look at the fact that some of us end tragically and end tragically, quote unquote, before our time. But it means we can't judge the value of life based on that. And we can't judge our meaning in life based on or based solely on how we feel or how we feel we did or what effects life had on us for us. You know, all this stuff for us. Um. I mean, we don't coin it that way generally, unless we're complete narcissists. We generally say like, what, you know, if you're depressed about your effect on the world, you say it that way. My effect on the world. What effect did I have in this world? What, what did I do? What did it matter? But really what you mean is how I feel having that directly reflected at me through compliments, <laughs> right? Or through some sort of validation, through some sort of cues that, uh, don't just tell me I, I am on the right path or I done good, but you know, our real accolades, if we don't get the accolades, we're not that happy, which is why we've turned to social media for likes, likes and dislikes ruling our world. Um, God, you know, can you imagine if there's a generation of people who are, you know, looking at life and just deciding whether it's worth living based on likes and dislikes. There are those people. You don't have to imagine it for very long. Oh, they exist. Yes, they do. So again, going back to the nightmare, the dream, whatever you want to call it, uh, it felt like a nightmare at the time, but it's so instructive. uh, It's not really a hellscape so much as, um, you know, a morality play, I guess. And the moral to the story is, Who had the more fulfilling life? Who was actualized prior to their death? Even though we both died screaming in agony, um, Carol and Lisa Marie were happy. They were doing what they are good at and what they like doing, or hopefully love doing. And they were working in cooperation to create food, which is life. And brings joy to people. So that's what they were doing. And what was I doing? I mean, ostensibly, on the surface, I was doing deeper things, right? I was, I mean, what's deeper than that when you think about it? But this is how we think about, like, a cook versus a kundalini alive person, you know? And the way that we think about things, I was doing the quote-unquote deeper thing, or I should have been. I was doing some sort of kundalini workshop, except I wasn't doing that. They truly were doing what they were quote-unquote meant to do, or what they were good at, what fulfills them. That's what they were doing. What I was doing was uh, still trying to figure out my life and whining and um, trying to keep up an appearance, dealing with my mommy issues so well into adulthood that they are my issues. They're no longer my mommy issues. They're my issues, right? Unless I'm a little kid dealing with them. And in the dream, I'm not. So that's what I'm doing. 
I'm the fraud in this situation, and in the end, I know it. Carol, Lisa Marie, you two go be happy in life. I'm going to go over here and tell people how to live, by God. I mean, really? I mean, put this to yourself. Think about your own relationships. Think about the image that you've built up of someone over time. And why you've done that. I mean, you can say it's because of their actions. You can say because they're repetitive and you see the patterns and so you're just expecting them to behave the same way they always have and all of that. And all of that is true, but uh, if it's also true, I saw a Buddhist monk say this, that Buddhism can be summed up. I'm no Buddhist, so I don't know if this is accurate, but you can tell me if you're a Buddhist, that all Buddhism can be summed up in this sentence. We all go through pain, but we don't all have to be in sorrow. So pain is inevitable. Sorrow is, you can say, a choice. I don't think it's a choice. It's a product of the state of being unhealthy, of being a partial person. It's a product of that. In fact, it's the major product of that. Besides, of course, you know, our friend, fear of annihilation. And I think one way out of that is to really look at whoever it is that you uh, have issues with, like deep, long-standing mommy-daddy issues, sibling issues, whatever it is, um, that are reconcilable. I'm not talking about like abusive stuff that's going to take years of therapy to understand, come to terms with and all of that. I'm talking about, you know, the regular stuff that's stuck with you. Do you concentrate on that to not concentrate on you? To not concentrate on your own hypocrisy, on the ways in which you are exactly like that in life to someone else, perhaps even to that person. The tsunami's here, folks. It's here. Not in the nightmare, not in the dream. It's here. Now, what's our meaning if we're wiped away, are we some abstract meaning, some statistical meaning to future others who look back and go, where did it all go wrong? How did this happen? Sure. Is that all? Is that what we're going to allow ourselves to be? Because unlike the baby, we still can come to terms with ourselves. We can understand ourselves so deeply that this separate self-sense dissolves. And that love we so desperately crave becomes us. Not that we find it in the other who we're blaming for all our problems or even in the spouse we love in the I love you sense of the term. But that we are little itty bitty generators. We're our own tsunami. We're our own ending. 